I wanted to ask you all to please, please, please go leave us a nice rating and review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this. Thanks. This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. I'm Mark Lintemeyer, a philosophy veteran who's interested in learning improv. And I am Bill Arnett, an improv also veteran, interested in learning philosophy. We have a wonderful program here for you today. We will each have a lesson prepared to teach the other person, but we will not say what that lesson is, and we can talk over each other to try to achieve that lesson. But that's all kind of a framework for us to have fun and enjoy a lovely conversation and some improv. And our special guest today is Noah, introduce yourself. Uh, hi, I'm Noah Rigoropoulos, also from the improv world. I've taught and performed for 30 plus years and I'm looking forward to finding out what this is all about. <laughs> we are also interested in finding out and we've been doing it for multiple episodes. I have a, a phrase, a topic, not a whole statement, but at least just a concept that I want to throw out that then Bill's going to start us on a, some sort of scene or we can mm -hmm. just discuss it, sort of get some initial impressions. Punishment, the rationale of punishment. Do we want to say anything, sort of get some preconceptions out there before we try to explore this? No. What is it, appropriate punishment? What is good, a bad, or a bad rationale for punishment? Well, as soon as you said punishment, my way of thinking made me think about the sort of false concept of right and wrong and good and evil, because I don't know if I believe in those things anymore. I think all of our morality is based on survival and not necessarily on some higher truth or goodness or evil. You know, I would definitely say when the chips are down, humanity certainly reverts to that kind of thing. Have I quoted Brecht before? Go ahead. It's the only quote I know from Bertolt Brecht, and it sounds so snotty, but it is fodder before morality. Fodder being food, and that if people don't have food, they don't have what they need to survive. There is no morality. I think sometimes, even in our world, we think everyone's got food, we think everyone has their things, but things can be unequal in America. Newsflash. And food, perhaps today, could include running water, could include electricity, could include some form of economic security. And when you look at people who don't have those things, it's easy to turn your nose up at them or say they're immoral when they are, in fact, they can't have morality. You are stuck in this, as Noah said, this survival mode where morality may not exist in the same way that it does for people who have their needs met. How's that for punishment? Have we gone sufficiently away from... I'm brought to mind a piece of high culture that I watched some of with my daughter, which is The 100, which is a dystopian sci-fi thing from Canada, I believe. That's on Netflix, where at the very beginning, everybody's on a space station. There really is like, is there going to be enough air? Is there going to be enough water, enough food? And there is severe punishment. Like, it's not that, you know, we have to worry about resources, then morality goes out the window. In fact, morality becomes all the more acute. Maybe it's not morality in some lofty sense, but like, if somebody cheats... If somebody eats more than their share, we will definitely kill them immediately. A nicer version of this is on Arrakis, on Dune, where you have water debt become such a big thing. Punishment, you could take it as utilitarian, something that is in the service of conserving the resource. And it's only in luxurious circumstances that it becomes something more pretentious. Or abstract. Yeah, I'm sure it says something about the society and says something about what they value, about what they choose to punish or, or let go. Certainly in today's America with Trumpism and whatnot and what we're choosing to not punish or choosing to punish or having frustration around unequal punishment, I think that also speaks to values and what a society ideally would like to be 
But then when the rubber meets the road, what it truly is, and I think that's getting revealed aggressively every day you turn on the news, uh, and that if unequal punishment is a reflection of a society's goals or its, its higher ideals, we got a long way to go for our reality to meet our higher ideals. You can't really have hypocrisy without values. There we go. All right, so that's probably enough to set us up. Do you want to start us on the improv journey that will help us explore this concept, something related to this concept, something spilling over into something that has nothing to do with it? And again, for Noah's benefit, Mark and I have talked about this nature of, is it the content of the scene or is it the style in which the scene is played that could reflect philosophical natures, if that makes sense? And sometimes the scene is directly about the philosophical question, and other times it's the nature of the scene reflects something philosophically, if we can pull that off. Now, Mark, I have something for you for, for my improv lesson. I would like you, do you have pencil and paper handy or pen and paper? I have a pen. I could write on something. Yes. Okay. Three little slips of paper, each large enough for a single word. For people at home, we do this remotely over a popular video chat provider, mostly We can see each other, and we're going to be passing notes here, but I would like you on each little slip of paper to write a simple emotion. Hungry is not an emotion. Tired is not an emotion. Well, exhaustion, emotional exhaustion. If I need to kind of play with it, I will. But I would like you to do, Mark, at some point in our scene, you're going to hold up one of those emotions to the camera, and I'll take it from there. So before the scene has even started, before we know of any idea where it's going, we're already picking random emotions. That is correct. Nothing up my sleeve. Nothing in the box, nothing in the top hat. I have three, I have three emotions. And at some point in the scene, when you feel surprised, I'll, I'll leave it up to you. I just want you to reveal one of them to the camera and I'll do the rest. We'll do another scene later and we'll, I'll tell you what I did and what the job is and we'll see, we'll see how it went. Is that cool? I'm going to write an alternate version of one of those in case you can't actually read my writing. Okay. Uh, all right. And I'm just playing the scene. You're just playing the scene, Noah, for now. Usually Mark and I both have a bit of a loaded gun. When we walk onto this thing, and usually I will demonstrate to see if he grabs what I've been doing, and then he'll have to do it. I will grab the gun from you in the first. <laughs> okay, um, uh, here's the thing. We're, no one's working today. This just site's closed. What's going on? I got a letter from the city inspector, and the site's closed. An inspector initiated it, so there's something going on over there, like a, a toxic kind of a situation. Uh, look, I don't danger. know if it's toxic. It's I don't know if it's electrical. I don't know if it's plumbing. I don't know if it's a safety thing. I don't know, but no one's working today. You can put your hammers down. No one's working. I was looking forward to really getting some work done today. Yeah, we're, we're hourly. We're all hoping, <laughs> looking forward to get work done. All right. I feel like it's kind of a moral imperative that we keep going. If we stop at this point, the work's never going to get done. I don't understand. Uh, do we get paid? For not going. Yes, there is some. This job site is insured and laborers do get, we might not get a whole day, but we're going to get something, all right? It'd be nice to work the full day. Oh, I didn't close the plant or cause it to be closed. Why would I be penalized for that? Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe did. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe did. All right. There's a whole stack of paper. Can you want to go through the paperwork of why it got closed? I don't. I was just saving this for, for Miss Perkins to go through, but uh, until she gets here. We're just not working. All right. Something smells bad in Denmark. Yeah, something's, I, I don't know. That's probably true in Denmark, too, but uh, it's certainly true here. Misquoting Shakespeare, I believe. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so let's let's enjoy our time off, everybody. Yeah. We're not working. 
unless someone wants to go through the paperwork. We are getting some amount of pay, but we're not required to stay here in the outbuilding wherever we are. The insurance covers us, I think, for two hours. So that's great. But we do have to be on site should something get cleared up. Should the thing get cleared up, I'm led to believe. If someone wants to read this paperwork, that's fine. But I think the moral imperative now is I got a deck of cards in the truck. You know, and that's, that's, I mean, that's... I got a pocket full of cash. Yeah? Are you sure that this is warranted, that we deserve? Seems like we should just keep working, even even though that we've been told to stop. It seems like we should just keep going. No, no. That's, we get in more trouble. Are you kidding? What's more important, obeying the rules or getting the job done well? I think raising the amity between the workforce with some casual time does ultimately improve the workplace. Yeah, this is free time. All right. As long as it (laughs) it contributes to the bottom line, as long as I feel like that everything we're doing here is so that we can work more efficiently and be more fully immersed in this activity. It just, I, I wouldn't feel right if I showed up here just to slough off. But if the, if the sloughing off is actually part of the work, then I'm all for it. Okay. Are you a narc? Are you like here from management? What's your deal? Are you recording this? Are you recording this conversation? Some people think that just because somebody has a special appointment to the group and none of you recognize me and I've never been here before and I'm wearing very uh, suspicious glasses might mean that I'm not just a normal worker, but I'm absolutely a normal worker. Look, when I got the call this morning that uh, there would be some paper, some angry paperwork here, everybody was pissed. Everybody, everybody at the office was furious. And then you roll in and tell us maybe we should keep working, which is exactly what management would want. I mean, I don't... Even if there's some sort of toxic spill, there's some sort of health effects that people will suffer from continuing to work, continuing to work with appropriate breaks to make you able to work even harder is definitely uh, best for all of us, for our spirits, for us to feel like we have integrity. Okay. Um, if you feel that way, I just think maybe we should all... Um play a card game and present yeah. our union cards yeah. present our union that's it just everyone just i've got my card with me everyone's got their card around uh yeah i got my union I, card i have uh, afl cio yeah yeah something the library is kind of a union right i mean it's like we're together with the books y- yes yeah. yes oh, i yeah. have a okay it's a legal size sheet but it is uh serves the function that you're talking about okay You've been very philosophical this entire time, Mr. Moral Imperative. Is lying part of your moral imperative? I mean, is that? For the greater good, perhaps lying sometimes is required. As long as you feel like you have integrity with everything that you're doing, uh, as long as you are all in experiencing whatever the activity is to its fullest, I I think that, yeah. So by all means, let's do this thing with the cards, but uh, maybe uh, we should have a little wager as part of that. I've got a a bone to pick because that's the second time you've waved the flag of integrity. Us doing our job with integrity as opposed to living up to the contract that we're we're under, even if we do that at a bare minimum, that's all we're being paid for. Integrity is you exploiting us to actually improve as we work, which we're not under any. I, I didn't take this job because it's my boyhood dream to, you know, put things on top of other things and send them down a conveyor belt. I would rather be, you know, on a tropical beach with a margarita and a friend. I just being one of your workers, I'm not sure exactly how you're addressing that. But if I were in a position of power. I think that the lamb's clothing is gone now. Uh, You're a shield. We've pretty much, I think, agreed by sort of mob consensus that you're really a plant for the plant. And what do you think should be done about that? Uh, 
I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying, let's, let's not, don't shit a shitter, you know? Can I say shit? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the job site, for crying out loud. Are you kidding? We could be a lot filthier than that. <laughs> Seemed like there was a certain, you know, complex system of rules that uh, we're not privy to at my, uh, at my pay grade. I think your punishment should be you have to go back to headquarters and tell them you got found out. That's your punishment. Okay. If uh, if I win the uh, game of war, no, we're not. We're not. It's the game is over. But the stakes have just moved. We're playing cards now. We're all in playing cards. That was your, the next your move. Your two pair did not beat any of our wonderful hands. You have been defrocked. You have been found out. The game is the game is over. Just a suggestion then before I go is uh, it might be a, a good idea if you're not allowed to officially work on the clock to just convert yourselves to some kind of indentured servitude. Just do this out of discipleship. Just just go back in there and don't worry about if your skin is feeling a little burned or tingly. Just be. I want you to be all you can be and, and feel like you're really part of something bigger than yourselves. So that's all. I liked you better when you were pretending to be one of us. <laughs> Yay, scene. I did as well. We'll stop there. Hmm. Many of the scenes, Noah, and this is from Mark, this is something maybe we need to work on in future episodes. There ends up being a phony mixed in with the other people, and it is about discovering the phony. The next scene we do, if we do any more scenes, will not be about discovering the phony. I'm going to say that right okay. now. Uh, hey, there, at least there is no devils in this one. That the factory is, in fact, the pit of ultimate evil. I avoided that. All right. We're making progress. We're making progress on your journey, Mark. I enjoy that. Now, as far as what I was doing, Mark, and even Noah, we'll throw it open to there. Was it obvious for people at home were my emotional changes? Could you see me making ridiculous emotional changes as it went along? I could see you reacting to the, I mean, taking on some of that emotion. I don't know if it was ridiculous. You did have a word there that it's definitely... Part of the lesson, I wonder if Mark can parse that out and tease out as he'll be doing it next. So as a presentation to the audience, would that have been better if I had announced the words or is it essential that they don't know? I want it blind. Okay. There are certainly improv games and short form games where there are grotesque changes in emotion. And it's obvious that you walk in late, you're still going to see these grotesque changes in emotion. And there can be humor from the strange dissonance as emotions change. In the kind of improv that we're doing, and this is something we'll, we'll chat, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, it can be hard for scenes to have emotional variety. And sometimes we're simply introducing emotional variety artificially. And I don't want to say what the lesson is. We're teetering on the lesson, Mark. If you want to take a stab at it, I will neither confirm nor deny. I was unclear on the rules of the game. I understand you. I was showing you some emotions you were reacting, but it didn't seem like Noah and I were necessarily supposed to react to that, that we had our own characters making their own choices. It's not like <laughs> that is the whole scene has entered a new area of relish. That is perfectly fine. Can I tell them now what the words were? <laughs> uh, if you'd like, if people were paying attention, if they want to roll back the tape, but thoughtful, relief, or what were they? What were they, what were they exactly? Reliefs was the first one, and then relish, and then I had put ruminative, but I decided to write thoughtful instead, because I thought you could not read this <laughs> in real time. I would have to figure <laughs> out what ruminative meant. My first thought would be chewing. I guess the chewing the cud, is that ruminative? Did I parse So that? to speak, thoughtful. Metaphors out to chew on something intellectually as opposed to gastronomically. 
There we go. Which at the point that I displayed that was right when I had made some, not as ridiculous as the suggestion at the end, but I was already moving in that direction that you were forced to take seriously the dumb thing that I was suggesting because I gave you that word. Yeah. Now, sometimes, Noah, I will ask Mark if the ancients had any wisdom on the topic, such as punishment. I can only imagine that with such a grand topic as that, the old thinkers, both East and West, probably have lots of thoughts on punishment. Spare the child, spoil the rod. For one. There has to be a reason. Real fast. Noah, did you say spare the child, spoil the rod? <laughs> on, on purpose? I said it on purpose. It's a line from Patty Smith Paul. You don't want that rod to go to you. We built all these jails. We got to do something with them. <laughs> they're, they're profit centers now. They're just sitting there going to waste. Let's get some warm bodies in there. One of the historical alleged bases for moral thinking is not just that it is something that has helped us to survive, but that there is something just in contemplating different concepts that makes them fitting to one another. So this is sort of a rationalist take. So beneficence, benevolence, somebody's nice to you. Gratitude just sort of fits with that, according to this. And I think that is sort of the grounding to that much older idea. There's something powerfully aesthetic, I don't know, to us, something that seems symmetrical to uh, an eye for an eye. Sure. I think like poetic justice is definitely talking about that whole symmetry kind of thing. When something happens where everyone feels like they got what they deserved, and it's usually a situation that is not necessarily where the law does not have spelled out that situation. And when you talk about poetic justice, you know, it's something that no one could have imagined, but is the perfect punishment for that situation. I can't explain that because it's kind of beyond law. And, you know, as Trump is flailing around after the election and that whole Four Seasons landscaping, it's just like, why was that so funny to everybody? And I think, I mean, how do you begin explaining that whole debacle to someone who wasn't there or, or wouldn't know about it. Like, where do you start the story that ends at four season total landscaping at you know, in some alley in Philadelphia, you know? So, you know, maybe there is this notion of punishment or getting what you have coming to you that maybe there is something human in there, something deeper in there. I have to confess to not knowing what four seasons landscaping is a reference to. When Rudy Giuliani is running around the country trying to stop the bleeding as Trump is losing, he booked a press conference to say about how all the votes are tainted at the Four Seasons. And the press are getting ready to leave for the Philadelphia Four Seasons when they start getting a note that's like, oh, it's not the hotel, the Four Seasons. Just go to this address. And it turned out it was probably a giant screw up by someone on the staff thinking they were booking the Four Seasons Hotel. Instead, it is a landscaping business in suburban. Philadelphia in an alley across from a porn shop. And they just like, well, let's put up some signs and some posters and we'll put a flag up there and we'll have this presser in the mulch covered parking lot. That is Four Seasons Total Landscaping in the outskirts of Philadelphia. And not mention that it was a screw up. No, no, no. This is this is what we had planned all along. The good people here. That was the first poetic justice I could think of. That was the first like, I'm sure there's some better ones out there. Yeah. So do we think it seemed from what Noah was saying that even the idea of sort of an objective right and wrong is just superstition is just something that was fostered maybe by evolution or a historical accident, maybe that it seems like something we should outgrow. But yet, as Bill was just pointing out, half of what goes on in the conclusion of 
narrative fiction is like somebody gets what they deserve and we really enjoy that. So is that just like have the old comeuppance? Something in our nature that we're being tolerant to that we should not in enjoying that kind of thing? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like getting into a psychological rather than moral realm and the fact that we want and we sometimes want revenge when we feel taken from. Yeah. And I don't know that those are particularly noble or moral states. I think they get back to survival. I want to eat. I want shelter. I thank you when you give me something because I wanted it. I don't want to stop getting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Not because there's anything particularly fitting about thanking somebody for giving well, you something. I think it's just words like fitting seem to be tonal. That is, they have to do with style, even etiquette. And those are a dangerous area because they create traditions of manners that become like unspoken laws that are a great tool to be weaponized in service of those with the most power and wealth, as salad forks are. At what point of human evolution do things like personality begin to emerge? And if you've got a group of cave people trying to fish, and there's one cave person who fancies themselves as the best fisherman and shoves other people out of the way and makes his grunting noises so he can get to the creek with his fancy fishing spear, and then he falls in the water... You know, I think cave people may even be like, ha, 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 man who thought he's so good fall in water. I could see that being a thing. I actually, yeah, I, I could see that. I could see cave people without some advanced society or culture still seeing that kind of, if you want to call that justice or, or humor or irony. I also could see them helping someone despite having an urge not to. <laughs> yeah. Because the notion of helping someone is fitting into their notion of survival. And they recognize that the development of the personality goes from, you know, solipsistic and narcissistic to communal. Yeah. And recognizing the survival of the herd is the survival of the one and things like that. And you think that development is biological? You think that the current track of humanity evolutionarily is a social species, is a community species, and that urge to, well, this person's part of my group and we need to help them. I can't explain it, but that's what we need to be doing. We laugh at the guy who falls in the water, but then we help him out because he, he really is a good fisherman. We really do kind of need him. So we'll get a good laugh out of it. But uh, Or I might fall in one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glad it wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> I also don't mind when allegedly objectivating moral comments. In other words, like that there is good and evil and we should obey. We should do the good. We should avoid the evil. When those get turned into psychology or into rhetoric. So like the idea that everybody's born with certain inalienable rights. Well, that's probably not literally true, unless you think that there's a God that is spelling out, you know, everybody has these rights, and if certain governments are abridging them, then they're bad. But it still becomes a really useful thing when I'm arguing with you, and I'm claiming people have rights to live without poverty, and you're claiming back, no, I have a right to uh, keep all my tax money, or whatever the thing. Like, you could still use that concept of rights, and just sort of not be as pretentious about it. Say, it's actually a piece of rhetoric. We can understand it as a piece of rhetoric and have a productive argument over like whether or not we actually do have a particular right without thinking that we're like consulting the book of God or something in figuring that out. Sure. Well, it's something that I think came up that might tie into my lesson. It happens every week. Noah, this idea of like, well, maybe this urge to help other people is, you know, urge to help myself. And then I realize that community is important. If that is a 
instinctual urge, if that is something deep inside of us, well, then there is no explanation. Well, why would you want to help others? Well, it's because it's like, no, it's because I feel it inside of me. It's instinctual. In some ways, it perhaps to try to logic it is to deny our humanity. If we are a social animal, if we do understand inherently, you know, if there was a tribe of cave people that didn't help each other and they died out via natural selection and the group of cave people that looked out for one another survived and we are them, it may be unfair to try to explain why we should help other people, if that would be depancing us or not depancing. It's just, I'm done. I'm done. Depancing us seems like a a cogent (laughs) philosophical concept. Yes, yes, yes. Even though we're wearing loincloths, you can still be metaphorically depanced. That opens up the, a chicken and the egg conundrum of whether instinct is a value or a biological process. You know what I mean? Sure. Or the intersection of them. Some yeah. place where they meet, perhaps. Should we do another scene, Mark? Uh, yes. I was going to suggest, if it would work for your lesson, to have Noah start the scene. Certainly. Does that make sense? But I'm going to give you these three emotions that I have written down, Mark. Okay. And a special instruction. Now, that little, that last little, if you want to hint at the lesson, the last little thing we discussed, it's real thick in there. All right. So I have, for people listening at home, I have three emotions written on slips of paper. And via our video conference equipment, I will display them. Now, Mark, here's the secret lesson that I did that I'm going to ask you to do. You are not immediately this emotion. What you are hearing, what you're experiencing brings this emotion to the front. Does that make sense? Sure. And, and sometimes in an improv game or a short form game, you'll see someone who gets their emotion switched mechanically by some outside force and they immediately snap into that emotion and they in fact lead with that. They, they will initiate a line with that emotion. Instead, I want you to do this reactionarily. You will see this. You will hear something that I said. You'll hear something that Noah said. And what we said is what drives that emotional presence. Does that make sense? Sure. Can I ask a procedural question? Please. To start the scene, are we still on punishment or are we taking a suggestion? (laughs) So I don't sit there mute when it's my turn to initiate the scene. I think we go anywhere. Yeah. If there's something that is inspired by what we've talked about, a scenario that you can dream up, that would be most sensible, probably. But do whatever you want. (laughs) That would be most fitting. All right. (laughs) Henry's blocking our uh, driveway again. He just he doesn't even, he's got pl- he had plenty of room. You're kidding. Yeah, it's halfway across our driveway. I, I have to drive through the yard to get into our drive. That's just ridiculous. I mean, you just you bought that giant RV. It just thinks you can just leave it on the street. I mean, how's that? Are you guys talking about me? You got some issue with my RV here? Yeah, H- Hank. Uh, do you mind if I call you Hank? Yeah, yeah go ahead. A lot of Henry's are Hanks. I, sometimes it's a Hank. So what's the what's the deal? I, I got a big vehicle. It's got to be somewhere. Yeah, it's technically it's blocking our driveway. I had to drive across my lawn and tore it up pretty good to get into our driveway. Well, I mean, I put it in my driveway. It's just I got all these the three other cars that go there. I was not suggesting you try to jam that thing into your driveway. I was just think parking it eight feet further north so that we could drive past it without incident. I guess I just wanted, I was looking for an excuse to, for us to chat. I just haven't talked to many people. When you dreamed of this chat, is this how you, you wanted it to go with sort of a rancorous territorial dispute? Well, I, I can move it and then maybe we could have a beer. Maybe that'll, that'll be a little reward. 
I mean, I don't have any beard. I would be glad to do both things, to have both things happen, you moving it and us having a beer. I do not want to reward you for doing something you should do. Yeah. Should. You have an imperative to do just by being part of a fucking community. Yeah, just don't, I mean, if you want to see, if you see us outside, just come say hello. We're not, when, when have he shot you down, man? you got to have tons of great stories having an RV. You, you've traveled, obviously. The thing is, I kind of just wanted to have a beer with you, know what? Not with, not with Bill. He just sort of reminds me of, of something, uh, I don't know, something some gets under my skin. But, but yeah, I'll, I'll move the, I'll move the RV. Well, uh, do you ever have an RV yourself? Do you ever, uh, do you ever spend some time, uh, traveling with one of those things? Not traveling in one, but I was inside, uh, Big Head Todd and the Monsters tour bus because I was friends with them and they were parked outside the venue. So we hung out there and had a beard, watched some videos. That's cool. Nice guys. Yeah, well, Todd himself, Todd Parkmore, is a little bit of a diva, but he's a nice enough guy. And then the other uh, two guys are like guys you'd want to have a beer with. Yeah. Regardless of whether they moved a large vehicle or not. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess I had a roommate at one point. He really liked Big Head Todd, and I sort of didn't like Big Head Todd because this guy liked Big Head Todd. He kind of reminded me of Bill. But, you know, those were the days. Big Head Todd reminded you of Bill? No, no, the, my friend who liked Big Head Todd. I think that is maybe what makes me a little uncomfortable about, about Bill's. Well, let's have aura. a beer and then we'll get over our discomfort. You'll know me better, okay? We will have that beer as soon as the RV is moved the eight feet or so. What would you think about having the beer in the RV and you could see it move from the inside and Bill can stay out here? <laughs> Just move the RV and we'll have some beers, all right? Yeah, there aren't going be, to be any beers till there's a way in and out of our driveway. And then I'd be happy to play the long version of Monopoly in your RV with you and have enough beers to get us through that. It's just kind of important that we get on this beer thing. I, I don't think that we can wait. I think it's going to take a few minutes to do the moving of the thing. And if the beer doesn't come at this point when I've got my hopes up, I... I'm just not even sure what I'm going to do. Calm down. I'm not. Hold on. Look, I have $35 in my wallet. This is our deposit that we're not going to go anywhere while you grab the keys to the RV and move it eight feet. All right. 35 bucks. Okay. If you're, if you're still going to be here. Yeah. I want my money back. You've got a lot of faith in a guy who's just showing you a fair amount of animosity. <laughs> on a social level. I'm trying to like, I believe that this animosity is through a lack of Exposure and understanding. Could be. And if we spend more time together, I'm, you know, call me a bleeding heart. And I feel that there is a good friendship is possible. This doesn't look like real money to me. This looks like it's real money. It's real money. Are you trying to screw me here? They just changed the die on the bills like a few years ago. So they all look like phony, phony Mazuma. Once you keep your phony money, I'm going to go move this thing. Hopefully Noah will still be here and uh, you won't when I get back. Thanks. Let's all hug. We did it. <laughs> we did it, Mark. Awesome. You had one little baby reprimand, but otherwise I thought you did the exercise perfect. What, what, was it, what did I do wrong there? Well, how did it feel, first of all? Terrifically unfunny, <laughs> both of these scenes, but I'm trying to let go of that being a requirement. Good. Okay. <laughs> that has been something we've talked about. Was it difficult to change your... Did it feel clunky? Did it feel strange? Did it feel 
untrue to the scene. Yes, but you told me to do it gradually and to let it come out as part of what was being presented, which in changing to scared for the last one, well, what was being presented, I sort of had to just come up with stuff because there was just nothing in the situation that I could, I, I guess in saying something, I was trying to locate something, which is just being paranoid about you. Yeah. And we actually noticed your paranoia and fear and played it a little bit. I think what we're getting at, I don't know if you want to try to guess, but I would hope our listeners at home, they may not even have noticed when those transitions took place. And this is less, a, this is more of a demonstration than it is a lesson. Are we ready to explain it or do you have a guess? Are we at the end of the show? We're in the home stretch here. <laughs> or Noah may have some insight as well. Yeah, I want to hear Noah's guess first. I'm not sure. I mean, it could be so many things. The idea that there is texture to be found, which is another stylistic layer of presenting an improv scene by investing in emotions and emotions that are dynamic and change, right? That that would Indeed. be one thing. The fact that occasionally there, there might be a comic lesson that emotions are by definition not rational. They're reactive. And you can have a weird emotion that you wouldn't expect. I, I babysat kids that couldn't sleep after we watched 1776. <laughs> okay, because they thought the British were coming? or uh... Well, they were British, the kids. <laughs> they thought George Washington was coming. <laughs> but one of them grew up to be a pretty famous, uh, like an animator or graphic novel type of guy, Michael Kupperman. But oh. his, little bro- his little brother was a, was a holy terror. I think I might know I might know Kupperman. We may have to chat about that if it's the same one I'm thinking of. Tracy and Louie have some connection to him somehow. I don't know. We'll, we'll chat offline I'm, if it's who I think it is. Awesome, Mark. Noah had some great things in there. And again, it goes right back to the whole notion about when is uh, an evolutionary instinct, when does that cross paths with, you know, culture? I guess I'm interpreting this lesson as a version of the one from last time where Last time we had this activity, maybe there was a time before, I forget, where you're imagining a situation that would give you a first line, and then you give the first line, completely throwing away that situation. And that you could do the same thing with emotions here, is that just there could be anything, you could roll dice, you could have somebody in the audience yelling things, you could take your cue from anywhere to give you a foreign injection, and then you need to interpret that in some way to make it seem organic. Although you were stressing that it doesn't have to seem organic because it could just be funny. That's exactly it. It's okay if it's, you know, a radical, irrational leap. That could just make it more interesting. But still, in the broad sense of organic, in the anything-goes sense of organic, as we've discussed it before in our dialectic discussion of, like, what would actually make some sense in the scene? And in fact, Noah even started that last scene. You're blocking the driveway, which is a perfect example of uh, who knows what's going on. I just know Noah's upset that something's blocking his, you know, his driveway. I may have gone a little early with a big camper RV, but that's where that's exactly where my mind went. And in that kind of regard, we were able to kind of build that moment with smaller nudges along the way, which at that point, it gets more difficult to say who owns the scene. But that was kind of it exactly, you guys, is that emotions are unlogical, they're illogical. And when we find ourselves getting stuck in an emotion and playing the same emotion, well, how do I change? You just change. There is no need to pre-justify or consider why your emotion is changing. You can literally change it midstream. Now, the trick is to do it on reaction. Something drives you to it. Now, the thing that drives you to it, like so much in improv, you don't have to have planned beforehand. In fact, it may be nice to not know why this thing is driving you to that emotion. 
stale scenes, scenes that aren't going very well. Anything can drive you to that. And in fact, as I'm standing here, and you may have sensed this as well, Mark, as I'm looking at my emotions of lonely, scared, and nostalgic, I told myself, if Mark's already tacking in that direction, I don't want to show one that reinforces it. But I started second guessing everything I was going to show. Well, that's too close. I can't do that one. But it's like, that only illustrates the fact that any emotion could happen reasonably because there is no logic to these things. And I hope that that was be liberating to somebody and that, you know, perhaps in future weeks, Mark, you could just write an emotion down on a piece of paper, just have it and then just flip it over randomly and maybe write one down now and forget about it till next week and halfway through a scene, flip it over and see what happens. It won't ruin the scene. It can't ruin the scene especially if you take it in reaction to what someone else says. It can only add texture and depth. I guess let me ask one other improv thing, since we have Noah here, so we can get two opinions of how you guys figure out who's going to play what role. So in that scene, you guys started talking. So, all right, I got to somehow be the antagonist. You seem like you are on the same team. Who knows? You, You live together. I don't know what your relationship is. But then as that went on, then I made a second choice of like, well, I got to somehow separate you guys out. You know, you're playing basically the same role. So I, for some reason, don't like Bill and I do like Noah. And let's see if we can run with that. How did you guys feel about those choices of how to just assign us roles? Or was that presumptuous of me to impose that on you guys or something? It kind of fell into place just because of syntax. The fact that I referred to a third person name as the person who blocked our driveway made it and there was no intent behind that. It just like, all I was thinking is something someone might be in a punishment-related situation, you know, of a wrong and a correction of some kind. That because of the way I spoke to Bill, it didn't seem like it would make sense that it was him who had parked there. And whereas if I said, you know, your fucking truck is blocking my driveway, then it would have been hard for Bill to make any difference. You know, whoever responded to that would know that was, I balanced one improv mistake with another one by (laughs) referring to someone who wasn't there. And then in order to avoid having a direct conflict. (laughs) But believe me, I didn't think about all that shit during the scene. I'm just saying it's in hindsight. I don't care about improv rules because they're like training wheels. They're to train your instincts, if you will, which is a funny notion, training instincts. But in uh, things like sports, which theater is a thing like sports, trained instincts can be of use. Yeah. I kind of feel like Anytime someone says something, I kind of I call it with and against. I'm either sympathetic, I want to be here having this conversation, or I don't want to be here having this conversation. And it's just in everything in life, you're either where you want to be or where you don't want to be. So just make that decision right off the bat. I don't want to be here right now. I don't want to be having this conversation. Or I do want to be here. I do want to be having this conversation. And that usually has the appearance of you guys are on a team, or as you said, I'm the sore thumb or the contrasting element. And that's not necessarily a bad way to think about it, but that's not how I think about my life. I think about my life as I want to be here, I don't want to be here. So if my improv is going to look more lifelike, I kind of want to bring about, I think about it as, yeah, if this was really happening, oh, someone's blocking a driveway, that blows. And I'm going to be here until we figure this out. Or at least, you know, until my wife calls. But it's like, I'm here for you, man, this stinks. And once we learn that it's you that's doing it, Well, then, dude, you got to move your truck. I do need to be here, but I need to be here to get you to do something. In my mind, that's just how we figure those situations out in life interactions. I'm sympathetic towards this person. I do want to be here. I don't want to be here. Right. 
And we should point out to the audience that I, you know, I started with a vaguely antagonistic, you're accusing me of something, <laughs> I don't want to be here, but then you showed lonely to the screen. And so like immediately I had to turn that around to somehow this was a ruse to get your attention and have a beer. It just, <laughs> and, and you don't need to explain that away immediately. You know, it's not the justification game, but I thought it was fine. I doubt the listeners even noticed that change. Hmm. I hope you're not rolling your eyes, Noah, but I think that's no, I wasn't. I was actually thinking it. I was actually thinking about the process in my head while you were describing the process. A more grand loneliness that had made you sort of a social outcast. Is- isolated. Or is- isolated. Uh, so you're driving around the country in your in your RV by yourself without, you know, a friend or family. <laughs> it's got three or four cars in the driveway and just like Oh, man, poor guy. Uh, a hop, skip, and a jump from Ted Kaczynski or whatever. <laughs> uh, that's a kind of loneliness in yeah. that as well. I don't know. Is ostracision count as a punishment? To get back to this notion of punishment. Yeah, well, let's finish this off. I mean, this was one of those where I more just wanted to see what you guys thought of in this space. And I think we threw out the two main types. Is it retribution? Is it revenge? Or is it... Basically, is is revenge rational or not, right? Should you institutionalize it into punishment or should punishment just be purely utilitarian, purely about trying to get other people in the future from not doing that thing? In which case, you have a very different punishment system. Did you have any further or final thoughts? There was nothing particularly I wanted to come out of your mouth about that. But when you say utilitarian, you mean like deterrent? Yes, exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or somehow get labor out of them. That would be clean up the latrines or something that's just like, well, we need the latrines to be cleaned utilitarian wise. So like punishing your dog, like you don't punish your dog because like you deserve it. It's like, because (laughs) it's part of the training to make them a friendly animal to live with. Exactly. You don't want there to be piss on the carpet. So therefore, you know, you do whatever you need to do. There is utility in disciplining the dog. Okay. Sure. But of course, you know, if you could do it positively rather than negatively, If we could incentivize, hey, for every year that you go without committing a crime, we're going to give you a cash payment. Maybe that'll be enough for you to not commit crimes. That's a fun idea. The citizenship salary. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Was it who was the presidential candidate who wanted to have a basic salary for being a citizen? Yang, Andrew Yang. Yeah, which I thought was an interesting, I mean, I guess having the um, bottom of the tax code be sort of a version of that, it's an interesting idea. I think we've just arrived at the point where we need a judgment. Usually we have our JudgeBot 5000 decide these things, although we should talk about how that went last time, Bill, because I had just criticized the Turing test, and I think the JudgeBot was holding that against me, and so I think that might have been a little fixed result. But when we have a guest, we invite the guest to judge Not between me and Bill, but the lessons that were brought up, the thing that was presented by Bill, the thing that was presented by me, which of those, if you have to choose one, and you do or not, has had the most profound effect on the other person, on you, on the audience in general, which is the most important lesson of the two today. And if we were to spell out what those two lessons are... (laughs) (laughs) Because emotions are completely illogical, unlogical, not even illogical, it means that we can change them without fear of making the wrong choice. And hopefully that will be liberating to us and liberating to us as performers that we don't need to fear an emotional change. In fact, we should welcome it and it can be quote unquote explained later, even though it needs no explanation. And my succinct statement is that there are those two 
rationalizations for punishment. We tend to think that the retribution one is just a bunch of superstitious nonsense, but we should keep it in mind, at least for psychological purposes. And there might be something more we can get out of that. Okay. So we are now the three-headed decision bot. You have already put more effort into all the other, than all the other guests. <laughs> Which says a lot about you, Noah, and I think that's special. Uh, okay. And there's a large <laughs> amount of money resting on this, so your, your decision is very important. It'll go in the record book. Okay, I think the jury is out on the effectiveness of punishment as other than a feeling of something that has value for the punisher, which would be society, as opposed to the punished. Certainly the, uh, the executed murderer doesn't do any more murders but might not have anyway. <laughs> uh, whereas the brutality of it might affect people's behavior that have nothing to do with that particular crime. The idea that we live in a world where that's a thing, just like the, the existence of war is part of what perpetuates war, is that we've sort of accepted as an okay part of the regular business of being humanity is to mass murder each other and not consider it a crime. So there's that. I don't know if that, that was a judgment. I also think that embracing the irrational side of emotions is a healthy thing to do. We tend to quantify emotions as you have wronged me by making me feel X way is a thorny place to go if emotions are not always rational. I guess they're getting into a psychological area that's above my my pay grade, but I think we, we have a point where it's like the worst thing you can do to someone is hurt their feelings, where I would rather hurt, I'd rather have my feelings than my knees hurt. <laughs> I can cheer myself up pretty good, but walking is getting harder and harder. <laughs> so it sounds like that the decision is improv, right? That I'm even trying to make you consider retribution is something that we should in any way hold on to or reconsider is, is an offensive suggestion. And that Bill's was a timely. I can't be that binary. I'm saying this. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's complicated. And to make a, a high end judgment on it when I think one of the things that both our improv and philosophical talk are is that when we go down to the cells of human behavior, they seem to start with instinct. And I have a hard time putting a quantitative judgment on instincts because they're not controlled. I think we do this like a skins game, Mark, and we just roll over the pot to the next hole. Yeah, I think the decision is it's complicated. I think we're just going to roll it over to, to next week and then we'll be double the pot for, for, for next week. All right. Well, thank you so much, Noah, for joining us. Oh, it was, it was uh, great fun. Fun, I don't know if there's the word. It was enjoyable and interesting, which sometimes <laughs> is better than fun. Yeah, and I think we don't always get outlets for that in today's world. For something just to be enjoyable and interesting. All right, well, I enjoyed learning from you today, Bill, and you too, Noah. I enjoyed learning from both of y'all as well. I was also uh, pleased by my interactions in the complete triangle of the three of us. <laughs> and scene. That's <laughs> was I supposed to say scene. No, no, <laughs> you're not supposed to say, you don't have to say anything. Hope you enjoyed the show. Get more at philosophyimprov.com. If you want to support the show and not have to hear any more commercials and get our post-game segments where Bill and I and sometimes guests will elaborate on some things that came up in the episode, reflect on the future, and share our recommendations in the philosophy and comedy worlds, you can see options to do that at philosophyimprov.com support.
Thanks. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 